going to share with you today some of my thoughts about what I actually think autism is. I've been working on my understanding of autism since I had my moment of realisation just under a year ago. And I was very compelled straight away to understand as much as I could about what was out there, read books um, that have different takes. Some of them are autobiographical memoir type of books. Some of them are much more kind of clinical and setting out the sort of received current frameworks for diagnosis. Some of them are a bit more philosophical, uh, which has been really interesting. I'm going to talk a bit about that today. So I've been piecing together for myself what I've actually experienced inside myself and how that actually relates to making sense now of a concept of autism because it's not completely obvious what is autism and then what is perhaps the result of the trauma of not knowing that one is autistic. So I'm really trying to hone in today on what I think is the autism as in what is my natural state and how do I articulate that? So really early on in my short life as a uh, late identified autistic person, um, I recognised that everything I read about autism was very much about external presentation and behaviours. And something that quite a few people said to me when I started talking about being autistic was, oh yes, well, girls present differently, don't they? And I was really stuck on this sort of present business because most of my experience goes on inside me and no one really external to me is privy to any of that. And there is obviously all of the stuff about how a lot of us um, are conditioned from a very young age not to express outwardly what's going on internally. But that all points back to one thing for me, which is autism is actually internal. It's completely an internal experience. I've often said that my inner world is very, very vast. I can go quite deep into my inner world for long periods of time and feel like I'm very far away and feel very comfortable and not really much in a hurry to surface. I don't feel particularly lonely when I spend time on my own, but I very much recognise that loneliness is actually a huge part of a lot of people's lives, autistic and non-autistic. So I'm aware of the fact that I have a support network and relationship. So that's that's probably part of that. But the fact is I do enjoy being on my own and I find it relaxing and comfortable and I don't need a huge amount of external stimulation really. You know, I like to read, I like to watch videos on YouTube about things that I'm interested in, but that will usually be, will usually take the form of either research into something that I'm really interested in 
um, so that I can go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into that topic. Or, or it will be because I want to read or watch something beautiful that really is beautifully written or beautifully crafted so that I can really just enjoy literally the beauty of it. I'm really clear that autism probably contributes to the fact that I've I've got a big um, internal world. And one of the more recent ideas that I've come across that I'm really, really intrigued by and really like is the model of autism developed by um, a psychologist called Rachel Lee Harris, who has developed a model of called Pythiism, and she's brought out a book, which I've got. And the idea of Pythiism really speaks to this kind of experience, which is proposing a model that autism is actually a different type of consciousness to a non-autistic um, consciousness. That autistic people are much closer to their unconscious self, their unconscious. And different autistic people might be closer to their unconscious or closer to the conscious world, but they'll be somewhere sort of in between. And a typical part of an autistic experience then will be crossing the line and going back and forth and having to experience a going back and forth across the line. Now that really speaks to me because something that I've been reflecting on is that the risk of sounding sort of really dramatic, I've been coming to conclusion more and more that for me, interacting with this sort of external physical environment isn't really natural for me. My natural state is to be either alone or with someone that I'm very comfortable with, who I've probably known a long time, kind of knocking around in my mind for quite long periods of time and then sort of surfacing for you know, now and again, or for short periods of time, to interact with that person who I know very well, who, with whom interaction doesn't feel really jarring and doesn't feel unnatural. But by and large, most of my um, experience of being exposed to the world outside my home or outside the home of someone I know really well and whose home is really familiar and safe to me feels unnatural and is hard even if there are aspects of it that are enjoyable and it's always going to be depleting it's because it takes so much energy basically to surface it's not that it's not enjoyable i you know i particularly enjoy cultural events i love going to, to see live music i love going and out and being able to dance i love going to see art I like going out and about in new places, but they're quite risky experiences because they're unpredictable and I am unlikely to feel prepared for a very, very long list of things that could potentially happen out and about in those places. I also am pretty clear that from my point of view, autism is about intensity of experience and specifically for me 
intensity of fear, anger and joy. For decades, I have been physically consumed by fear in relation to anything unfamiliar. And actually just when I'm at home in my own space thinking about interactions with other people or thinking about unfamiliar things or the external world, the intensity of the fear that I feel in my body has always confused me and I've always assumed that it was psychological in origin. And I actually spent quite a long time in psychological therapy trying to un unravel and uncover the origins of this fear that I felt in my body. And I would try to attribute it to all kinds of experiences that I've had. And some of it will be linked. There are aspects of my life that were traumatic because of not knowing that I'm autistic. And I've lost my train of thought. This is going to happen sometimes. So let me just think. Um, yeah, so I feel the rising fear in my body. Same with anger. Anger, since I was a very little child, I have felt anger on a very visceral level. And it has, never takes much, especially when I was a child and when I was young, and going up, up into my 20s, actually, it would take very little for me to have an incredibly instantaneous and intense rage reaction, especially if I was embarrassed, especially if somebody pointed out something weird that I've said or done, especially if I'd done something wrong or if something had gone wrong or something unexpected had happened or an unexpected change of plan. I've always been aware that my reactions to these things were not like other people's. And a very, very difficult thing as a young person was knowing how to cope with the intensity of that rage and needing it to come out of my body and be released, but really not having a safe or supported way to do that. The way I felt was I really, really wanted to break things. I wanted to smash things. I wanted to smash my room. I wanted to smash mirrors. I wanted to smash furniture. I wanted to put my fist through things. I never wanted to hurt people. It was never directed at people. But I really needed a sort of a physical manifestation of my rage, none of which was permitted. You're not allowed to do things like that when you're a child or an adult. And I grew up in a household where it was expected that I would be quiet all the time. So the rage did used to come back on myself bodily. I would inflict physical violence on myself um, because that's the only outlet I had. But the good news is the intensity of my joy is also quite different and I've realised as I've started letting it out and reconnecting with my joy that it's quite childlike. So when I feel joyful I tend to want to make noise, I want to make big movements. It's where behaviour called, I don't like using the word behaviour actually, I think it's a bit pathologizing but it's where we do a thing called stimming so we express ourselves autistic people physically i express myself very physically and when i'm joyful 
I clap a lot. I click my fingers a lot. I like to wave my arms in a very specific pattern, which is a little bit like rolling waves, but my left hand and my right hand do different things. My left hand goes up and down and my right hand rolls. And I do that at different size waves and different speeds and in different directions, um, depending on how joyful I feel. And I like to shout and sing. So again, from very, 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 very young, um, that was completely unacceptable. To behave like that was completely unacceptable to all adults because they didn't know what it was and just thought I was attention seeking and being dramatic and being weird. So from a very young age, I squashed down my joyful expression and I lost it eventually, but I'm finding it again, which is lovely. So I'm going to get onto senses as well, because the sensory experience is a big part, I understand, and for me, of autistic experience. And my understanding is that there are more senses than the five that we learn in primary school and we talk about, including proprioception, which is our understanding of our body and where, and where our body is, um, which I wish I'd learned about many years ago, um, because I've always been a bit confused by this. So the senses, I understand, are either very, very sensitive in and intense. So... For me, my very, very sensitive, intense sense is sound, hearing. I'm incredibly noise sensitive. And I've learned that actually it's high frequencies and volume that actually feel like my nervous system being reached into and squeezed and stabbed. But I'm actually generally noise sensitive. And I'm also sensitive about people moving close to me about which I've just realised that's a different one so noise super sensitive and some people it might be smell that's not really a thing for me in fact I'm the opposite and some people it might be visual so that would be people who are going to be uncomfortable around very bright things and bright lights but actually the majority of my senses are under sensitive in a way that actually I need um, I need them to be quite stimulated a lot of the time. So really, really key one for me is this proprioception. I honestly feel a lot of the time like I've lost my body. <laughs> I feel like I'm a floating mind. I actually feel like my unconscious is floating around without a body most of the time. If it's too still or if... I don't have any any feedback in terms of touch on my body. I noticed a couple of years ago that I really, really love being in water and that when my mood is low and I'm feeling anxious, the one thing that will make me feel brilliant is getting into a pool or getting into the sea and I thought I liked swimming, but actually I'm not interested in swimming at all. Because when I get into water, I normally just dance around and make nice movements and just basically feel the water all over myself. And I realise it's particularly nice for my hands because I've got feedback on every single bit of my hand. And not just touch, not just something 
touching or stroking, but actually something where I'm sort of pushing against it and it's pushing back against me. So there's actually a sort of um, a bit of a squeeze effect that I find very helpful to locate and reconnect to my body. And it's for that reason, I mean, I'm sat here today and I'm indoors at home and I've got, you know, my laced up comfy ankle boots and my comfy leggings. And then I always wear the same type of long sleeved thermal t-shirt um, from Marks and Spencers. I've got lots of them in different colours um, and a jumper. And I always wear something around my neck as well. And on some days I want something on my head as well like a, a wide headband or a little hat and then recently I've also taken to getting a sort of a, a little plushy toy I bought myself a peach from the jelly cat range and I sort of pressed that against my face and I'm like oh there I am um so I'm sort of getting to learn that this is why like my my proprioceptive sense doesn't really kick in basically unless it's activated with some kind of squeeze or um, but you know something soft and nice but that's actually a little bit of pressure so I have now got myself a weighted blanket because when I lie in bed under the duvet I feel like I don't really know where my body is and it just feels uncomfortable it feels like I'm going to just float off into space and that's not a very doesn't feel very comforting when I'm trying to feel safe and go to sleep so that's what the weighted blanket is about and these clothes the other thing is I really can't bear having cool air on my skin either so I like the feeling of warm air on my skin but if it's cool or cold that's a hard no and it's got to be nice soft comfy slightly squeezy clothes instead with all the labels cut out because if I've got a label in my clothes that's literally all I can think about all day and my shoes have to be very comfortable as well for the same reason I won't be able to think about anything or concentrate on anything which I understand it is a very classic autistic experience. So I meant to say actually a little bit earlier that a book that I found really revelatory, if that's a word, I think it's a word, for me is Temple Grandin's book, The Autistic Brain, because she actually explains that the brain structure is different to average human brains in autistic people and my understanding this is very much layman's understanding is that some parts of the brain that actually process emotion or these sensory um, experiences are bigger or smaller than average which is why we get this intensity or this under intensity and some of the parts of the brain also have much longer connections and are further apart from each other or shorter ones and a really classic one and this was a real aha moment for me is that apparently typically the information processing part of the brain and the speech part of the brain can be really quite distant for autistic people which would explain why a lot of us have either permanent or fluctuating inability to speak. This is a fluctuating issue for me. So obviously when I'm recording these podcasts, it's on days and times where I feel capable 
of speaking quite fluently. But if I'm feeling overwhelmed by the intense stuff that I've just been describing, sometimes I can't get the information um, to connect to my speech. I feel too far away from the speech function <laughs> that I have as a physical person. That's when I feel very far away inside my internal world and, and closer to my unconscious. And I really struggle to talk. I don't love it when that happens, but it's a fact of life and I'm starting to become less embarrassed and less ashamed and better able at kind of finding quick ways to communicate to someone I'm not able to talk. It's quite easy with my partner because I can just make, you know, hand hand to throat gestures to be like, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing coming out. Um, and he knows now exactly what's going on with that. It's a little bit harder at work and I just have to basically work really hard to make sure that I've that I've I'm in a, a state when I start work on the on the working day um where I'm not feeling overwhelmed and I'm I'm feeling connected and close to consciousness. Um and I'm gonna talk a, more about work in a different episode because it really warrants its own focus. Um I've got to say a word about functioning before I finish. Uh, it's very clear to me that, and lots of other people, that the whole low-functioning, high-functioning thing isn't a thing. It's not real. I've had quite a few people say to me, oh, you must be very high-functioning. Um, and I didn't really know what to say in the first phase. But I'm getting a bit quicker just now to say, oh, functioning isn't um, isn't real. I'm not high-functioning because that doesn't exist. I just think, I think high functioning is basically shorthand for non-autistic people, for them to say, I can't tell what's going on internally for you. They don't know they're saying that, but that's what I've kind of interpreted. When people aren't able to pick up on or see what's going on for me internally, they think that what I'm doing and how I'm interacting with them probably comes naturally and is easy and it doesn't. Part of that is the whole eye contact thing. So I always used to think that I was really good at eye contact. In hindsight, I'm realising that actually I was really good at forcing myself to make eye contact to an extent that made me and probably other people uncomfortable. Eye contact for me now is incredibly intimate there are not very many people that I can look in the eye and when I do look people in the eye it's like we're connecting soul to soul and depending on my relationship it can it, it can feel like if I find someone attractive if I'm looking them in the eye for a long period of time it can feel a bit like I'm snogging them it's like it's the alternative to snogging obviously that's not how I feel when I look close friends and family in the eye from that for me is just more about a deep intimacy and soul connection um with those people so yeah so you know I can force myself to look other people um in the eye and that's what they see me doing but it's not comfortable and it's incredibly distracting and it's much better for me to sit side on to someone um and chat to them like that so for that reason, I quite like the whole Zoom video thing because it's not real eye contact. And most of the time I'm watching myself in the video to check 
whether my facial expressions are normal because of course the interaction is not natural to me um cool okay so in conclusion that's 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 what i've figured out so far but i'm still very much reading what different people have to say about autism and really enjoying understanding all of the different schools of thought all of this obviously makes up for quite an exhausting experience and exhausting life which is why we have something specifically called autism burnout it's really tiring living like this it's really tiring being what i've realized is a diff is a one type of human an autistic human having to be to all extents and purposes non-autistic in order to meet societal expectations and I think there's a reason that a lot of us gravitate towards each other I'm I'm actually discovering that a lot of people in my life who I'm comfortable with and close to are either autistic or have ADHD or both and I will do a separate episode on combined autism and ADHD because guess what that's what I'm pretty confident I am and I call it ADHD as do lots of other people so I look forward to talking to you about that um, I hope that was an interesting little talk through there and yeah I'd be really interested to hear whether any of it resonated or whether you've got quite different ideas about autism um, or similar to me Okay, thanks so much. Bye.